Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have our storytellers share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this particular episode is different because we are still recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means we're not in our studio and we are using Zoom audio. So the quality might be a little bit different than what you're used to, but we are all doing the best we can with what we have. And I am so super stoked about our guest with me here today. Skylar Baylor, he, him pronouns, is the voice for trans inclusion, the first trans athlete to compete in any sport on an NCAA D1 men's team, and the only one to have competed for all four years. He is an internationally celebrated inspirational speaker and a respected advocate for inclusion, body positivity, and mental health awareness. Skylar's first book, Obi is Man Enough, uh, was published on September 7th, 2021, so go get a copy. It's a coming-of-age novel about a middle school swimmer who also happens to be trans, another step in humanizing his experience and lifting up all people, but particularly trans people. Skylar, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here, Tubbs. Thanks for having me. Yes, my pleasure. I'm so excited that you're here. How are you doing? How's your week going? It's gone. Um, I'm really busy. I'm always really busy these days, but I've got a lot of things on my plate, especially my book, um, which I'm really, really excited about. So yeah, busy, but excited. Yeah. Uh, Busy, but excited seems to be like a good place to be in, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Can't complain. Um, It's a privilege to be here. (laughs) Awesome. Um, And we will definitely talk about your book um, in a, in a few, but first um, we all have multiple coming out stories coming into ourselves stories. Um, and I invite you to share one of those with us. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for that space. Um, actually I came out twice. Uh, the first time was as a lesbian cause I knew I liked girls and I thought, okay, well maybe that's the thing, right. That's different about me. Um, came out as gay, never really fit. In fact, I feel like I, I honestly got, got worse during that time, worse mental health wise, um, felt sort of more disconnected with myself. And it wasn't until I came out as trans a couple of years later that I realized why, um, not that there's anything wrong with being gay, but in, in sort of lesbian culture, it's all about being a woman, right? And there's a lot of, of, of loving on women and that's great, except that I'm not a woman. Right. So when I came out as transgender, I was like, ah, that's that's why um, I actually came out as transgender while I was in a treatment center for mental health. I had been struggling with an eating disorder for a while and I took a gap year between high school and college, actually put my recruitment for swimming on hold and everything to figure out my mental health. And that was where I actually realized that um, that I'm transgender uh, and started coming into myself. Thank you so much for sharing um, that. Uh, so much of what you said resonates with me. And I think with a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, um, can't speak for anyone, but me, but that, but the idea of like, that was very similar for me of like coming out twice first as a lesbian and then as trans. Um, And I'm wondering if, so I would imagine that um, like having this opportunity to swim at Harvard um, 
was like is, is a huge deal for anybody. That's incredible. But then, you know, taking a year off to attend to your mental health is like really spectacular. And I don't think happens as often as it should. So were, was there any part of you that was scared that you would lose your spot at Harvard or what, what was kind of going through your mind in that moment? Yeah, um, I wasn't scared that I was going to lose my spot at Harvard once I took the gap year. I was afraid when I told them that I needed to take a gap year that that was a possibility. Um, so I got recruited in this in the fall of my of my senior year in college. I'd signed and got well. It's not really signing because Ivy League schools don't have signing, but I but I promised that I would go to Harvard that that following year. Um, and then when I got to the, the spring of my senior year, I was still really struggling with my mental health and honestly just getting worse. And so I, I decided to take this gap year on the advice of my my um, therapist. And I called my coach and I just said, "Listen, I haven't eaten sort of like I, I have such a clear memory of having this conversation. I was in my car, um, sitting outside my my friend's time at the at, at my friend's house at the time and. And I was like, I, I can't come to school. I need to take care of myself. Um, and I, is that okay? Basically is what I said. And, and my coach was like, listen, I, you know, I was worried actually that there was something going on because of, um, you know, that I per- performed poorly at a couple meets after been recruited. And, and she was like, I'm really glad that you're taking this time for yourself because you're going to come back better and you're going to come back more mature. And, and, you know, honestly, Skylar, I think most people need to take gap years. And I was like, I picked the right coach. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So she was really great about it, really supportive. And she, she's also was a psych major and she was like, I just want to know, you know, how it goes. So she's like, I'm going to call you and check in when you're there. And I was like, totally fine. Um, so in that way, I wasn't afraid of losing the team. She was like, your spot will be there. I'll, you know, you'll be there just a year later. That's fine. Um, and you get to tell the team however you'd like. Um, and so that, that was awesome, like a ton, tons of support from her. Um, and so I wasn't nervous about losing the team. I was more nervous about losing myself, actually, uh, because I had never taken a year off of swimming before. I had never taken um, time away from my life before. I mean, going to treatment felt like I was putting my entire life on hold, right? I was leaving my family. I was leaving my friends. I was leaving swimming. I was leaving school. I was graduating from high school in the same school I went through, kindergarten through 12th grade. So everything was changing for me by going to this treatment center. Um, I also want to note it's a privilege to have access to the treatment center, to have insurance that helps pay for it, right? To have parents who supported me going, like so much privilege in the fact that I was able to attend this treatment center for my mental health. And it also was very daunting as an 18 year old who wanted to like launch in his life to instead go to basically like a mental hospital, right? Um, So yeah, it was really, really frightening in in those ways. Yeah, wow, thanks for sharing that. Um, So when... I want to like back up a bit. So how, sure. how old were you when you came out as a lesbian? Sorry, I didn't hear the question. Oh, sorry. How old were you when you came out as a lesbian? How old were I? Um, so I was 16, I believe. It was the summer before my junior year in high school. And who were the, who were like the first people that you told? I had this feeling like I was like, I had to tell my parents first. I wanted to tell my two best friends at the time first, but, um, but I, I felt like I had to tell my parents. So actually my, my, my mom was the first person I told. I literally, it's funny, kind of funny and ironic. I, she was away at the time. I, me, I meant to tell them at the same time, my parents, but she like had to go somewhere. And so I called her, I, I crawled into my closet, I had, like a little closet and I crawled into it and I shut the door and I called her <laughs> um, from the floor, like underneath one of my shelves. It was like, so ironic that I literally crawled into a closet to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was kind of just like, um, okay, sure. Like, 
you know, I don't really care, Skylar, you can bring anybody home, doesn't matter, whatever. She's very like, whatever. I think she was more stressed that I was so stressed. I was crying and very upset. And she was more stressed that I was like that than she was about sexuality. Um, told my dad, I think later that day in the car on the way to swim practice. And I was like, dad, I'm gay. Okay, bye. Shut the door. Um, and he was kind of like, later he was kind of like, what? <laughs> like, and I don't, I didn't experience any anger from him either. I think he was just more confused in the manner in which I shared it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so it sounds like your parents are supportive all around, which is so. Yeah. yeah my parents were, were really supportive. I think the sexuality thing just like, honestly didn't phase them. I think they were again, more stressed that I was stressed to tell them, um, and less about anything else. Um, when I came out as trans, I would say that was a little bit different. I think they were, I was in treatment when I came out and I think that kind of put this fog over everything. And it was like, Skylar isn't okay. Basically like Skylar is really struggling with, with his mental health. And so that was like the, the context that we were in. So when I told both of them that I was trans and I told them individually again, as well, my mom, and then my dad in that order. And they both were kind of like, okay, we don't really know what that means, but we love you. Right. Um, and I think there was just like no education or knowledge on it for anybody involved. And it sort of evolved over that time. And what I always say is that my parents, like, I, I know that they love me deeply and I know that they never would throw me out or say that I don't belong or whatever. And there were still a lot of stressors along the way where they were like, I don't understand this. Or why do you have to get top surgery? Or why do you have to take testosterone? Or like, Skylar, slow down. You don't need to do all these things. Right. Um, so there were stressors along the way, but it came from a, a, a starting point of like, I love you. And I I am privileged to have that love and that support. Um, and I never want to be dismissive of that. And that didn't mean everything was easy. Right. Um, but I always like to recognize that privilege because there's so many trans kids who just who don't even get the love, which to me is absolutely unacceptable on the parent's side, because the literal one job you have as a parent is to love your kid. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way that you um, describe kind of like started rooted in love and then still there were stressors along the way. That's very also similar to my experience of um, with, when, you know, telling my parents um, that I'm genderqueer, like they, that for them, I think was even harder for them to understand because it wasn't one of a binary gender that they were used to, to knowing and understanding. And so there are definitely a lot of stressors and similar conversations around, well, why do you need top surgery? And one of the questions that I got from them and from other people were, um, well, what if you want to breastfeed when you have a baby? And I was like, that's making a lot of assumptions about my body and what I, I want to do with too. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think for, for me, and I'm curious if this is the same for you, because right. Uh, so you are a uh, massive um, personality. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but like on social media and you have yeah. a really incredible following and because you use your platform and your voice and your experience to uplift trans people's experiences and um, what it what it is like to be trans in the world that we live in today. Um, and so I'm wondering for you if, and, and also like you are, you are, you, the way that you talk about it is so succinct and um, I don't know how to say it, but I'm, I'm curious if, if you've always been able to articulate yourself in the way that you do now, or if how, how that came to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I actually get that question often. Like, Skylar, have you always been this articulate? <laughs> um, and I want to say yes and no, which I know is annoying, but 
<laughs> yes, in that I've always been a talker. I've always been a verbal processor. I was young when I started speaking. Like I was on average, I think, younger when I started speaking in full sentences. Um, I have always verbalized my thoughts, um, I think, often and more so than other people, sometimes to my detriment where people are like, shut up, Skylar, you're talking too much. Um, and I've, I've always been like a talkative person, right? Um, the only time I stopped talking was when I really struggled with my mental health. And that's how everybody knew something was wrong. My parents were like, you're not sharing anything with us. What's wrong, right? Um, so I think in that way, the answer is yes, I have always, I think, tried at least to articulate myself. And I think I've also really been practiced at it in the past seven to six, six or seven years because I do this now for a living. Right. Um, so I think both are true. Right. Um, I absolutely, and I want to add this part explicitly articulation is also about confidence you have to have the confidence to be able to express yourself and then of course you need to have the backing of being able to articulate yourself and they kind of go back and forth right if i know i can be articulate i'll be confident in what i'm saying if i'm confident in what i'm saying i'll have more ease in being articulate um so they kind of feed into each other and the reason i share the confidence piece is i i didn't start by feeling confident i start by faking it <laughs> yeah. um, and I think there's many things in the world that you cannot fake it until you make it, but I think confidence is not one of them. Confidence, you can fake it till you make it to some degree because confidence is not about feeling confident and then doing the thing. It's about doing the thing and gaining confidence from that and then that being the cycle, right? So the reason I say this is like, I did not get up on stage the first time I got up on stage to share my story because public speaking is my number one gig these days. Um, I didn't get up on stage being like, heck yeah, I feel awesome. <laughs> I'm 100% confident. I got up there literally having done my speech a hundred times the night before all the way through probably a hundred times, like no, no joke. So nervous, shaking with nerves, getting up. I went, actually my first speech was at my high school. So it's added nerves. If I know everybody here um, and I didn't feel great. I was really nervous, but I did it anyways. Right. And that's, that's the athlete side of me. You're nervous when you get up to do your sport anyways. Right. But you do it. And I just did it. And the feedback was great. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm okay at this. So the next time I was slightly less nervous and the next time I was slightly less nervous and you keep going. Right. And you have, you know, some crappy experiences here and there, crappy performances, and they take you back a little bit, but you're like, wait, mostly I'm doing great. So you keep moving forward. So that confidence builds and that articulation builds because the more confident I am, the more articulate I am, et cetera, et cetera. I hope I that, that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, I love that idea, like faking it till you make it. I, I do. I have similar, so many similarities uh, between us. Um, I also have found for me that having to, exp it sucks that this has to happen, but having to explain myself and answer questions over and over and over and over has also helped me hone what I say and how I say it. Um, I, for my, the work that I do during the day is um, I work at a nonprofit that teaches and works with Jewish institutions all about LGBTQ inclusion. So I am in these spaces educating and talking about um, identity all day, every day, and have really had to figure out the best way to deliver information that people can understand it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think like when people say, wow, Skylar, that's like such an articulate answer. I'm like, well, I've only said it like a hundred times. Right. And I think a lot of people outside of specific experiences don't understand that the questions they ask, and I was just saying this to a client the other day, nobody's questions are new. Yep. Like everybody thinks that they're asking a nuance, like, well, Skylar, have you ever thought about like, what about this? And I'm like, 
okay, question asker number like 105. Here's the answer that I've said 105 times. But they think everybody, really everybody thinks that their questions are nuanced and new and that they're the only ones who have thought of it. And the answer is most often not the case, especially when you're talking to a trans person um, and especially when you're talking to a trans person about their body. <laughs> right. Um, so I think um, that also practices uh, like the things that I'm articulate like the things that I am articulate about as I stumble on my words um, are things that I have said a, a thousand times as well. Yeah. I have my favorite in quotes is when people try to stump me on they, them pronouns and how they're actually plural. And I'm like, first of all, <laughs> it's like, it's, it is, it's hilarious. Like you can tell that you can see it in their eyes, their face, their intonation, that they think they're the first person to ever like try to yeah. catch me on this. I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, th- I have empathy for, for them in some ways, because there's lots of things I don't know about that I'm sure I've asked somebody about that is not new to them, you yeah. know? Um, and that's why I'm so grateful for resources like, like, um, like anti-racist resources, for example, like, so you want to talk about race, right? Because uh, there are so many things I learned from reading that book that I'm pretty sure most of my, my friends who are black would be like, I talk about this all the time, or I get this all the time, or I think about this all the time, or I'm sick of people asking me about this, right? And so I'm glad there's resources out there so I can be like, oh, let me read this as opposed to asking somebody about it. But I get the feeling, I guess is what I'm trying to say, which isn't to say that people should ask those questions, but people should look at my resources. So that's a little pub for my resources, but this is, people don't remember that when the questions they have are about somebody's identity, and especially when that person is an educator, they probably have answered it before. Check the FAQs page, right? Um, so that's just a, a note there. Yeah, no, that's great. So I, I'm, so you do this for a living. Like you, you go around and you speak about identity and your page. You have hundreds of thousands of followers, and you post educational um, material all the time. How do you stay? Uh, like you said, uh, you know, grateful and empathetic. And because I, I I am at my wits end a lot of the time. And I actually have been, I'm in a particularly like low spot this summer. I had a lot of stuff happen. Um, So my like, my like pool of patience is lower than normal. So the past few interviews have been like very bitter, but generally speaking, Mm -hmm. I'm able to keep that empathy and gratitude. But I'm curious, like, how do you do that? Especially when people are, you know, sending you messages, uh, like disparaging comments about your body and your identity. How do you, how do you stay positive? Yeah. Um, Well, I'll answer sort of in the order that you asked the the disparaging comments specifically. Well, I'll do it in reverse order. I, I don't, I don't care about those anymore. And I know that sounds perhaps desensitized and maybe that's a part of it, but it's, it's, I was actually talking about this with a client the other day, the difference between desensitization and putting something down, right? Desensitization and letting something go are different. Desensitization is that I have, I've like, no, my, like my, my response is no longer existent because I've just, I can't respond to it. Right. It's like, I, I, I can't even handle the response, right. It's avoidance in some way. Whereas letting something go is like, I know it doesn't matter. I'm not affected by it, right? It's a totally different conversation. So I don't feel desensitized to those things because I read them. I'm like, wow, this is like a really intense comment. Um, recently, I've been getting a lot of uh, and this content warning for for some really negative comments, but I've gotten a, a lot of them and also, also baked into their anti-Semitism. Um, mm-hmm. People saying that they don't need to be gas chambers for people like me. Like I've literally gotten like four or five comments recently like, from different people. I'm like, why is everybody, like, where is this coming from? First of all, like, why is that a consistent thing now? Anywho, that's been coming up recently and i don't feel shitty about myself excuse my language uh, i don't know if i'm allowed to curse so you, you are um, 
Okay, well, I, I don't feel shitty about myself when I read those comments. I think, gosh, what the heck is wrong with this person? And what's going on with their day? And why did they seek out me to send this message, right? And I don't, it's, it's a really not a, a, a me thing anymore. It's a them thing. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what I teach a lot of people about is that separation between what I know to be true about myself and my, my like reality and my knowledge and my identity and what's true for somebody else right? Or what's somebody else's opinion. And it's not that somebody else's opinion can't hurt my feelings. It can, but I don't ever want to pick up their words and use them as weapons against myself because that's internalization, right? And so when I separate myself from their truth or my truth from theirs, then I can put this distance. And to me, that distance has gotten so massive, especially with Instagram comments over the past several years that I I really don't even, like, I don't even feel pain anymore from it because I'm like, wow, they're way over there. Um, and so the comments and I post about them because they're meaningful and because they are, you know, examples of what other people can receive and can hurt them. But I, I don't know, I don't really feel as much pain from them anymore, but rather like an indication of how much work needs to be done. That's the first thing. But in my daily life, in terms of like being recharged, being able to feel grateful, being able to feel empathy for people, um, I have more, the, the empathy I need to feel is towards the people I want want to and can affect change in Hmm. and the reason i say that is the trolls the people making those comments the people who are just gonna you know yell at me no matter what i say they're not worth my time they are not people i can change they're not worth my energy and so they're just over there they're not even in my bucket of like energy or empathy that i have Um, the people i can change the people i can help are other trans people especially trans children right trans kids um people who are in the sort of moderate area where they're like, I don't really get it, Skylar. Can you explain it to me? People who care, right? That's where I want all my energy to go, right? And I don't want to waste my energy because on other people who I'm not going to change. The way I've always thought about it is like, let's say I have like 100 units of energy. I could spend all 100 on one person who's way over there trying to inch them this way. Or I could spend one unit on 100 people who are teetering, who I'm just going to, bump them over right to the side that is of acceptance and of inclusion that's what i try to do um but on the gratitude part specifically i also i the first thing i thought of when you said how do you stay you know grateful and empathetic and the answer is is trans kids right Mm. um i mentor trans kids i talk with trans kids i interface with trans kids i run support groups for trans people not trans kids those are 18 plus but other trans people i think are are where i i get a lot of that joy from because it's about connection it's about a reminder of why this work matters um i had a, a a couple of clients this week who were um who were crying because they were so grateful for the connection with me and i was like oh my god i have to just like keep myself together like don't cry sky don't cry <laughs> but that kind of connection is is like that's life life saving life giving life changing um and it makes everything that i do worth it wow that's beautiful that's why that's one of the main reasons i, I love doing this podcast for a lot of reasons but one of the main ones is getting connected getting to connect with other trans people and like hearing their stories like I said like how much I relate to your story and just knowing that because like going through it when it was happening I felt so alone and I was like is anyone else feeling this way and then getting to talk and connect with people like both in the podcast and in the work that I do um is like you said life giving it's just it's incredible Totally. Yeah. I I mean, I think connection is the essence of humanity. Right. Um, And I think that this fast paced 
fast moving capitalist world, right? It, it doesn't allow for that or it doesn't value that. And my work is actually a hundred percent based in that. Um, and I never want that to change. So that that's what feeds me. It can also be what drains me. I'll be mm-hmm. honest as well. Right. That can also be a lot of work and a lot of difficulty, but, um, but it's, it's the, it's a thing that kind of keeps, keeps recharging me. That's amazing. Um, so let's talk about your book. You mentioned it earlier and I'm so curious. So it's Obi is man enough. Um, what's the book about? Where'd you get the name Obi from and what inspired you to write the book? Yeah. So Obi is man enough is about a 13 year old Korean American middle school student. He's a nerd. He loves sandwiches and pickles. Um, he has some new friends he's excited about. He fights with his brother, but his brother's kind of cool. Um, he's just, he's a middle school kid in, in many different ways. He's also a swimmer and he's quite good at swimming and he's also transgender. Um, and I intentionally lay out his, his explanation in that way because he's, he's just a kid who happens to be trans. And I think there's a lot of stories right now that focus on our coming out, that focus on our transitions, that focus on the, the, the trauma and the pain of being transgender. Um, and those are very real and very important stories and they're not all that we are. So I wanted to write a story about somebody who is a kid who has a life, who does so many things and also is transgender. And Obi's transness is absolutely talked about and addressed in the story because it's such a relevant part of his life. Um, but it's not the only thing that's relevant. And he's, he's, he's just a kid as well, right? Um, I want people to know trans kids are just kids. And so that was one of the, the aims in trying to, again, humanize um, him and humanize trans people. Uh, I've been saying, and I think this is true, is that it's, it, the, the book is a, a, a bit of an ode to the childhood, the boyhood I never had. Mm. Um, Obi transitions before the book begins. So he transitions around 11 and he's 13 in the story, um, whereas I transitioned at, at uh, 19 and so sort of missed that boyhood, that childhood, if you will. Um, and so it's kind of a childhood that I, that I guess I wished I had in some ways as he's also a swimmer and also Korean American. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about the book and I'm really excited for other people, especially other trans people to read it, but I'm actually, um, even perhaps equally excited for cis people to read it, especially cis kids to sort of just know that trans people exist and know that there are kids that you can relate to that your transness a person's transness doesn't disconnect us from other people in fact it actually i think gives us more ability to connect with people because we have more breadth of experience than the average person does due to due to our, our gender histories um you asked about the name obi um obi is short for obadiah um actually and my 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 dad's dad was going to name my dad that and then decided not to and then my dad was maybe going to name my brother um so his you always joke his first son but not his oldest son <laughs> um, my brother's younger than me um but he was going to name my brother that but decided not to and so i was like all right this name has been passed down to boys in my family but not for a couple of generations so let's pass it to to this this boy that i've that i've fathered if you will <laughs> through writing through writing him oh i love that that's such a special answer i was not what i was expecting i don't know what i was expecting but that's incredible um so i that book sounds so powerful and i love i just think it's so like you said like connection is the essence of i think i forget what you said like humanity or being alive or all, yeah, all of yeah. those things um sure. and i think like storytelling is the way to do that is, is to, to connect right. and to find yourself, even if you don't share an identity with the, the protagonist or whatever, you still know sure. what it feels like to be scared at school or be nervous about your swim meet or 
get a sandwich without pickles, even though you wanted it, you know, like whatever it might be. Um, it's like forging those little connections, I think is, is so important. Um, so you, you brought up um, how basically like you had a missed, a missed childhood, but Obi gets to have one that you never had. I also feel like I missed out on a lot of the childhood. So I feel like I'm actually making up for it now by, I don't know, just whatever. I feel young at heart in a way that, um, sure. but anyways, I digress. Um, so a lot of what we're hearing in the news lately are all of these anti-trans bills around kids like playing in sports and um, receiving um, life-saving gender-affirming intervention. And so when I think of an 11-year-old, I think of, well, what what happened to that kid if they didn't get the interventions that they need to, to survive and thrive? Um, so I know that you you do this work all the time. So what are you hearing in the field? Like the only kind of interactions that I've had around these bills have been like in a professional setting. Are people like really like wanting to talk about both sides of the bills and like not wanting to believe trans kids when they say who they are and not jumping to medical intervention? I said that in quotes. Um, and I'm like, oh, no one can jump to medical intervention. There's so many hoops that you have to get through. But anyway, so I'm curious, like, what are you, right. what's your experience been in talking about these bills and, and, and educating adults on kids at, you know, as young as three, know their gender identity and how can we support them? Yeah. So no, it's, a, yeah. The, the, I mean, the, the, the question I hear is like, how do you deal with ignorance? Because that's what it is. And, um, when I deal with adults who are saying, well, don't jump to medical intervention. Don't, you know, like I'm worried about this sports one is a big one where it's like, I'm worried about boys destroying girls sport, or I'm worried about this side and the other, right? All of it is based in ignorance and it's based in ignorance due to willful ignorance, by the way, that is, that is not perpetuated necessarily by the individual, but by the systems that are occluding all of this with hate speech and fear mongering, right? It's not about reality. It's not about facts at all. It's not about actually what the medical professionals say. It's all about fear mongering in order to do what? To gain power. Right? So we have to understand when we zoom out from these bills, these are not actually about trans people. Well, the bills, they are written about trans people, but they're about power and they're about how to control people's bodies. They're how to divide people, right? Divide systems of people to steal the, the, the left, honestly, to steal the moderate and sway them to, to the right. Um, these are very divisive, very calculated bills uh, and, and calculated social systems, essentially, to disrupt trans people, but also just, just disrupt people in general. Right? It's not just about trans people. It's using trans people as a pawn. And I think that once we can see that, then we can understand these systems. There is no coincidence there are over 100 plus anti-transgender bills that are happening right now in the wake of Donald Trump. Right. There's no coincidence about that. Um, and there's also no coincidence that this is all happening at the same time as a massive social justice upheaval has been happening over the past year and three months. Um, these are all happening at the same time for a reason. Also, people will tell you um, who work in the, the, you know, the legislative field of this Chase Strangio, who's the lead ACLU attorney on this on these um, these issues, will tell you that this is a calculated attack on trans people, specifically using the money that failed to reverse marriage equality. Right. So there's, this is, there's a lot behind here that are systems of oppression um, that are not just trying to oppress trans people, that are just trying to control all people <laughs> who are not cis, white, straight men. Right. So I want to start with that. Um, 
Once we get into the facts, you can see more of that as well, because you realize, wait, all the facts point to affirming trans people. So really, this has nothing to do with facts or science. So the first thing I always say when we talk about age and trans people is that all major medical professionals, psychiatric professionals and psychological professionals affirm trans people. They've put out massive statements that the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Pediatric Association, all these people have put out clear statements that say these bills are harmful, these bills are wrong, trans kids deserve acceptance and the, the resources that they need in gender-affirming healthcare. Um, and so that's the number one thing. If you want the facts, you want the science, where people are like, you know, trans people don't listen to science. No, we do. And science affirms us. Absolutely. Unequivocally. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that people are like, well, trans people can't make these decisions, right? Kids can't make these decisions because they're too young, whatever. To which I say two things. One, gender identity is not a decision. There's no decision making. The only decision they're making and they're doing so courageously is to tell you about it, right? To invite you into that. And it's a privilege that you get to be privy to it. One. Two, um, besides the fact that it's not a decision, most people are going on about the fact that brain can't make decision. The brain is not mature, whatever, whatever, right? They got, you've probably heard this before. The brain is not developed. And the thing that they're talking about is not gender identity, but rather the prefrontal cortex. And they're right. The prefrontal cortex does not mature until your early, mid-20s, sometimes your late 20s, depending on who you are. But your prefrontal cortex is about inhibition. One of its primary functions is inhibiting us, stopping us from doing things we would otherwise do that would break social rules, um, give us social uh, faux pas, et cetera, right? Maybe being yourself is a social faux pas. Actually, your prefrontal cortex would help inhibit you from being yourself, which I think absolutely it does. And I ask adults this all the time. Have you ever been in a situation where you've inhibited something about yourself because it's not appropriate socially? Everybody says yes. Like, did you do that when you were younger? No. Oh, you learned how to do that when you were older, Right. That's literally neurologically supported by your prefrontal cortex. Kids don't have that. So actually they're better able to be themselves because they a, haven't learned who they're supposed to be yet. And they literally do not have the neurological structures to inhibit who they are. So they're just who they are. That's usually actually taken pretty well by parents because I'm speaking in the language they're giving me. I'm using the mm. facts. I'm using the cognitive neuroscience. I'm talking to them directly about what they're saying. There's nothing they can say to refute me. And also, none of the people that I'm talking to are cognitive neuroscientists, so they also have no idea what they're talking about. Um, and they realize that once I start bringing in the big words, once I start talking about this, because I do know what I'm talking about, and the science does support me and trans people. And you really have to get people into that depth sometimes. If it doesn't work, the conversation probably ends. The reason being, if it doesn't work, this person is not open to facts. This person is not open to science. This person is transphobic flat out, right? Um, and that gives me a big indicator of what's going on, and I might just stop the conversation. Um, sometimes I have some other skills I, I, I employ if I really think I can try to pull them in, but a lot of times it's a battery I have to draw. Yeah, there, it sounds like some sometimes those people are the ones that are going to take all hundred of your energy points, and it's like, exactly. Oh, I got to stick this back in the bank and, and move on. Right. So I go, I go to probably like, you know, some people will go up to five points, and if, if that doesn't work, I, I let it go. That's, I'm going to start trying to think of of these interactions in that way i think that might be helpful for me yeah Um, i think i think boundaries are so important with these kinds of conversations Um, and i didn't say that earlier with you know you're asking me how to how maintaining you know my empathy and my gratitude and 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 i think grace uh, part of how i maintain that is also by saying no right i'm not great at it so sometimes i don't maintain it well but um it's a practice that i want to be great at which is saying like no that's it you've taken enough of my energy points and um i'm gonna let that go you know, you do you and I'll do me and we'll, we'll do our own things. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that I'm practicing and working on too, is finding that line. It's so hard. So difficult. 
Um, so you, um, you have, you do so much, you, you speak across the country and you have your, I've, and I've brought up your social media so much. Um, you also are, um, now I'm, I, you're a therapist is it a therapist or what's, what's the word you use? Uh, yeah, I'm a life coach. Is the word life coach. I, I have okay. no formal qualifications for anything except for the fact that I do a lot of this work. Um, so I made that very clear to my clients. I'm not a therapist, not a licensed clinical professional. I'm a, I'm a mentor or a, or a life coach. Got it. Perfect. Thank you for clarifying. Um, so of all of the, all of the different touch points and ways that you interact with the world, do you have a favorite and why? Um, that's a good question. So when I was doing in-person speeches, my in-person speeches were like my favorite thing to do. I loved to travel. I loved to meet people. I loved hanging out with people. I felt like I really was, I could feel the change that I was providing. Zoom is hard. Zoom is really hard. And I, I, I love speeches still to a degree because I can see the change as well. And I love being able to interface with people. Um, but it's, it's just, it's difficult. Um, so I would say that has like lowered my, my love of it. I still love the impact. Um, I've also added life coaching during the pandemic. So life coaching, and I also actually facilitate support groups now. Mm. And I love that. I really love the life coaching. I think I'm good at it. I think I enjoy it. I feel really like connected with my clients. Um, and I think I'm most energized after like a really good session with, with a client. I also really love my support groups. I run five monthly support groups right now. And, um, well, actually technically four, but one of them has two meetings a month. And I, and I love those. I think those are really fun and I get to connect with people. I feel like I, I learn a lot. I get healing through those two because I'm, while I'm facilitating, I'm still listening and learning from what other trans people are saying. I, I just, I love them. That's amazing. Um, is there an age limit to those groups? No age limit. Um, well, there's an age four. So you have to be 18 plus because you need to be able to provide consent to, to be in the group. Um, and I'm trying to work out how I can get an 18 and under group with parental consent involved, but that's a whole legal battle. So I'm going to figure that out hopefully at some point, but right now it's 18 plus. And he, Got it. he be a hundred years old. doesn't matter. Well, this 36 and a half year old is going to check it out. Cause I think that would be helpful for me. Yeah, um, come by. We've got lots of people in their thirties. I, some people join in their sixties. Like it's there's come, come by. It's, it's such, such a lovely space. And, and for folks, for me and for folks who are interested, where can we find that information? At my website, pinkmantaray.com slash support. So I can give you all the links. You can put them in the, in the description afterwards, but pinkmantaray.com slash support, or you can just hit the link in my bio and all of the stuff is there. There's a button called support groups. Oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah. And I've got, I've got, like I said, four different meetings. There's LGBTQ plus. So anybody is queer. Um, I've got trans mask specifically trans mask being anybody assigned female birth who doesn't identify as female. I know there's lots of definitions for trans mask. I have to have one just to define the group. I'm not saying it's the right one. It's just the one for the group. I have trans mask POC specifically. So if you're a person of color in trans mask, and then lastly is the trans plus support groups with anybody who's trans. I love that. Um, great. Yes. And I'll put that, I'll put that in the uh, description and all that good stuff. Um, I did my first in-person training after, you know, for a year and a half, like everything was virtual. And I did my first one on Wednesday and it is so different. It is so nice to be in the room and to feed off energy and just to like, it's such a different, a difference. And so I'm excited to keep doing more as much as it's safe. Yeah, totally. I I miss in-person so much for those kinds of events. Yeah. Where did you get the name Pink Manta Ray? 
Yeah, so I actually have a tattoo that says um, I believe in pink, uh, and um, it's an Audrey Hepburn quote that I that I love, and I kind of see it as believing in childhood, believing in fairy tales, believing in, in sort of the wonderment that kids have for the world. And I got the tattoo as a reminder to like never let go of that childhood joy, that childhood wonder, because I don't want to become jaded to the world. Um, when I started my Instagram, I was actually totally in the closet, didn't want anybody to know, and I just found this small trans masculine community on Instagram, and I was like, gosh, this is perfect. Like, let me learn from these people. Let me get support here um but let me do it anonymously so i made an instagram account never posted anything of my face like it was always like my head cut out of the photos um and manta rays are my favorite animal so i said all right you know what pink manta ray that's just let's just i literally made it in like a second i was like um what's something that's not attached to me at all who nobody knows what it is pink manta ray um and then it became as i as i sort of garnered more knowledge about myself and I became became a person that was sharing more as opposed to getting more support. So it sort of flip-flopped, right? I was aiming for getting the support. Then I became somebody who provided the support. Um, then I came out and was, you know, really open to myself. I obviously now have photos that include my face <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it became my brand as a result. And actually now that's the name of my company, Big Matter A LLC. I love that so much. I was, I mean, if you saw me digging um, my, I don't have a tattoo of it, but this is now my next tattoo. I keep this card in my desk. It's a picture of Robin Williams as hook or not as hook as Peter Pan. Hello from hook. (laughs) Um, And this, this card reminds me of the same of what you're saying of like being young at heart and not losing that like youth youthfulness. Yeah. Believe, believing in something else, I think is, is really it. Like believing in um, honestly, believing in the the power of, 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 um, joy yeah um, believing in the power of joy is like you 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 talked about this earlier when you were describing your book of like so much of um like the trans narratives that are out there are, are focused on the pain and the struggle and but it's like we are so much more than that it's so like so so rare do we talk about the gender euphoria that we experience sure. yeah and I, I think that's that's one of the things I love to share with my clients and with other trans kids. I mean, there are so many, gosh, there was this one moment, I just thought of this, I'm probably, maybe I'm going to tear up as I, as I talk about it, but there was this one speech I gave, it was actually to, to 2,000 kids, so the biggest speech I've ever given. Um, and a lot, I literally spent like an hour and a half afterwards meeting kids who came up to say hi, and it was such a lovely experience, exhausting, but lovely. Mm-hmm. And this one kid came up um, and uh, and like burst into tears as soon as they as they said this, and they were like, I just came out to my parents and they don't accept me. Is it going to get better? And they just started sobbing. Mm. And I just gave them a hug and I said, it will. And I, and I said, but I don't want to promise you anything. It's not going to get better necessarily because they're going to get better. It's going to get better because you're going to get better and you're going to know how to deal with this and you're resilient and you're going to look for resources and it's going to be okay. Um, and I share this because that, that, that moment when they broke and they cried and they were like, is it going to get better? They really didn't think it was. And this is just one kid. This happened. I've, I've had this conversation with, with probably hundreds of kids at this point where they're like, can I work as a trans person? Will anybody ever love me? And will I be able to date people? Um, can I have a job? Can I have kids? Can I have a life? Right. And it's not, it's not like from a, I mean, trans kids have their futures taken from them in so many different ways by the world um, due to oppression, due to these anti-trans legislations, due to their own mental health issues that are a result of the discrimination we experience, right? 41% of trans people attempt or complete suicide, right? There's all these things that, that take our futures from us, literally. But the lack of representation also, t- like, even if you didn't have any of that, the fact that we can't see ourselves in the workplace, the fact that we can't see ourselves in sports, the fact that we can't see ourselves literally just walking around the world and having healthcare, 
right? Mm-hmm. The fact that we can't see our futures, we don't see adults who are trans who are living their lives, that robs us of any future we would have, right? Even if we could continue living into the future. So when kids ask me, can I date? Can I be loved? Can I have a job, right? The other day, somebody was like, what's it like being, being like trans and working in the world? I always am like, yes, you can do all of these things because not only can you, but you deserve to, and there's nothing wrong with you that's going to stop you from those things. But the world doesn't teach us that. The world shows us that we don't have futures. There's like a whole generation of queer people that's missing because of the AIDS pandemic, right? And and continue we, we continue to have adults missing because the most common age for people to attempt and complete suicide is before the age of 23, right? I know this is dark, but my point is that we don't have futures that we can see. And what I want to show kids is that there are futures out there. There are so many trans people that are living their lives, that have jobs, that are married, that are, you know, that are, or maybe they're in polyamorous relationships. They don't have to be married. That's not my point, but that they're, that they're, they are loved. They have family, they have chosen family, they have people. Um, and kids don't get to see that. I didn't get to see that. I still, I mean, I still, to this day, last week, I met um, a, a friend of mine who's trans, who's uh, in their forties. And I went home and I, I cried about it because I was like, I'm so grateful for somebody who's older than me and trans and living his life and could give me insight from that perspective. I'm 25 and I'm most of the time, the person that's giving that perspective to other people, but I'm 25. I don't know. I don't know jack shit about the world to a degree, right? Um, but I do, right? So anyways, uh, I'm sorry, that's sort of a meandering answer, but I, I want kids to see themselves in the future. That's amazing. I was tearing up that whole time. Yeah, it's that the the representation piece and that the um, the visibility or like the, the path into possibility is so, so, so important. It's why I do everything that I do and be as much as I can be a visible trans person and answer questions because I didn't have that. Um, Ooh, well, um, I, I don't want this conversation to end, but I want to be mindful of time and I want to get us to, um, the lightning round of questions. Um, so these are just silly. They're just for fun. Uh, the first two seasons of the podcast, they were all binary either or questions and people were like, come on, you could do better. So these are all mostly open-ended. There's one binary question, uh, but it's all just for fun. So if you could name your crayon, what would you name it? Like a color? Yeah, any like whatever it could be a color or just like the type. And by type, I think yeah. Oh However God, you I'm interpret so it. this game. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is so lame, but I, I ocean blue. I love that color, so I guess that is so. You know what? Pink manray pink. I gotta go with that. Pink That's Manoray perfect. Pink. Yes, amazing. Um, your favorite time of day? The morning, early morning. Mm. Favorite current queer media representation. Um, gosh, I, I, I have to be honest. I, I don't watch a lot of TV. Um, so I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say all the trans people that are, in, that are in TV, I guess, or, but you, you mean, oh wait, you mean media just generally. I'm sorry. General, I'm not good at yeah. this question. That's okay. Um, media representation. You know what? I love Ashley Marie Preston. She's a media personality and she's a, she's just a phenomenal black trans woman who really just owns all of herself everywhere. And I, and I love, I love her work. Perfect. Amazing. I, I also love her work. Um, a song that makes your heart soar. Um, recently my girlfriend and I have been listening. She loves James Blake and we've been listening to say what you will by him 
like I kid you not on repeat mm. um and it's a really lovely song and I think it's been I've been really working on my own sort of like boundary setting for myself and I was mentioning that before and it's all about you know people will say what they will um and I think it's been a good message and I yeah that's where I'm at right now <laughs> I love it favorite way to travel um probably train I'm really oh no boats I love boats but trains are a close second nice favorite quote favorite quote recently I've been saying one about courage a lot that um and I'm gonna butcher it it's not exactly right but it's a it's a of a Nelson Mandela quote that's like um courage is not the absence of fear but rather acting you know in spite of it Mm. um so I think about that a lot I also really like the quote that's um I think it's a I think it's Emily Dickinson, but it's like, sorry that I don't know if you've heard that. With I thought I heard. Yeah, okay, okay, <laughs> that's me, okay. Um, so another quote quickly, I, mean, I said too, but the other quote that I really like is Emily Dickinson quote that's find ecstasy in, find ecstasy in life. The mere sense of living is joy enough. Um, and I kind of mm. try to come back to that. It's like a the mindfulness thing almost of like, I'm here, I'm breathing, I'm living like that, that is joyful. And how can I, how can I find that joy in everything that I do? Um, even when there's, there's like difficult times, I'm still living, I'm still breathing. And it's not to dismiss the, the, the difficulty, but rather to know that like, there's always beauty in living itself. Wow. I love that. Um, okay. And this is the only binary question, bagels or donuts? Bagels a thousand percent. I love bagels and I'm taking, I'll, I'll take an everything bagel, please. Amazing. That is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically because also everything bagels. Um, Skylar, thank you so much for being here today and for answering all my questions and just for being such a source of inspiration and educational resources and being such an incredible um, person and a person that other trans people and people all people can learn and learn from you in all the different ways. So thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, you too. And thank you for coming out. You do. <laughs> yes, of course. Thank you. Thank you for coming out. Hey everyone. It's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so. So you don't miss an episode and don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page at Thank You For Coming Out and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story either anonymously or with your name. And you can have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.